The reading this morning comes from Luke in the 24th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse. The disciples, uh, this is the day after, or the day of uh, Jesus' resurrection, and the women have come back from the tomb and told the disciples that the, Jesus is not there, and they don't believe him, so a couple of them are taking a hike. They're going to the city of Emmaus, which is near Jerusalem, and this is the story of their trip. Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Skip. Again, thank you guys for being here today. If I get too close to that, I guess I'm going to go. It's good to be with you guys today on this Easter Sunday. Uh, Easter is a, a strange time to be a pastor, uh, especially this is my 10th Easter, which is awesome. I'm really thankful. Praise God for that. But to do the, the, the same rhythm, the same story year after year after year, for me personally, it can get a little bit challenging not to get stale, right? Not to just go through the motions of, of telling the story. Uh, and so this year, what we're going to be looking at is Easter through the eyes of the Old Testament. Specifically, that this was always God's plan A. And I love the story of the road to Emmaus because it's so clear that this was always God's plan. But beyond that, I just love the story because Jesus is just punking some people, right? Like, Jesus has already done the hard part, right? He died. He was crucified. He was humiliated. All the hard stuff's done, and now he just gets to celebrate. And literally, the first way he celebrates is by showing up and not messing with his disciples, but kind of enjoying the moment, right? So he's walking with them, and they're downtrodden. They don't understand what's happening yet. Yeah, the women, they said the tomb's empty. They saw some angels, but no one can confirm it yet, and so they're just confused. They're, they're downtrodden. And I think all of us can empathize with that. All of us at our times, we, we have plans. We have hopes. We, we have dreams. And then it all goes 
to some form of hell, right? And hell is just separation from us, God, from us, us from each other, us from the world. And, and we're really good as humans to create our own little version of hell. And that's what the disciples thought was happening. And yet, in truth, it was just the opposite. God used humanity's pain, humanity's decision to crucify the Messiah to do something amazing. It was always plan A. Which is why he tells his disciples, he said to them, how foolish of you, how slow to believe that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things to enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what, he, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, there's a couple things here. A, this is the best Bible study that has ever been done. Could you imagine that? Right? Like, Jesus is literally walking. This is a long journey. Right? And he starts literally giving them a Bible study. That y'all, starting from Genesis during the fall where God says that the snake will strike your heel, but the man, a son of yours, will crush his head. Through Moses, through the prophets, through the Psalms. Y'all, this was always the plan. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're not going to do the full Bible study Jesus did for his disciples, but we are going to use the Old Testament to see the Messiah to see God's plan, hopefully through fresh eyes, that we can celebrate, that we can wrap our arms and our hearts around the God that we have, the God whose plan A is still in effect, that God that we can hope in and trust in and believe in. So we're going to begin with some worship. So I'm going to invite you guys to stand as we continue our Easter celebration today. Uh, today's reading is from Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank you so much. We're going to pray a little bit, if that's all right with you guys. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a good God. Lord, as we continue to explore um, your plan, Lord, I, I give you thanks uh, for the length that you were willing to go, uh, Lord, to connect us back to you, to connect us back to each other and back to the world. And then we pray, amen. So this is really the second part of a two-part sermon series. If you were here on Good Friday, we read the first part of Isaiah 53. And for me, Isaiah 53 represents one of the greatest witness moments for our faith. Because Isaiah 53 was written 700 years before Jesus would arrive. 700 years before the Messiah came, God told his people, this is the plan. This will always be the plan. And for me, when I think about my own faith and what it means, 
there's, there's confidence there. There's hope there. There is life there in Isaiah 53. And again, it starts off, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him, this Messiah that would come, and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. There's a couple things that are going on here, but we actually have to go even further back in the Old Testament to see what God is doing. Because what you see in the Old Testament is every year they would do the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement specifically was about forgiving the entire nation their sins. And so they would have this massive ritual, this massive sacrifice that represented all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the times people didn't love their neighbor as themselves, all the times people forgot about God. And they would have a sacrifice. And there were two parts to the sacrifice. There were two goats that were brought. And one goat was what we would typically think of as a sacrifice. They would actually kill the goat on the altar as a way to intercede, as a way for that goat's blood to cover the blood and the shame of the Israelites. There was a physical sacrifice. But there was a second goat as well. We call it the scapegoat. And that goat, literally what they would do is they'd bring it in front of everybody and the priest would put his hands on the goat's head and the priest would start to say all the sins that the people may have committed. So the priest would say, for everyone who lied, for everyone who coveted, for everyone who murdered, for every sin, every broken thought, every broken action, they prayed over this goat and they put all the sin on the goat. And then they sent the goat away, exiled from the community. Does, does that story sound somewhat familiar? Do you understand what Jesus was doing as a way to intercede for the transgressors? Earlier in Isaiah 53, God says, and I will put the iniquity, the transgression of them all on this man. When Jesus arrived, it was literally like God placed his hands on Jesus and said, for every sin that Pastor Josh has ever and will ever commit, that's why I'm sending you. For every sin that you and your family and your spouse, and your kids, all of it, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the pain. God places his hands on Jesus and says, I'm putting it all on you to take care of, to remove, to put away, to redeem. And if that's where the story ended, we'd have a slate that was wiped clean, but things like death still exist. And so thankfully, Isaiah 53 doesn't end with these words, but instead it goes on. And after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. There are two things that are going on here. One, in verse 9, it literally says he will be assigned a grave. And by verse 11, it says he will see the light of life. 
Literally, Jesus came to both die and to rise again. And again, this was always the plan. 700 years before Jesus showed up, God told his prophets, my Messiah will die and my Messiah will live. And Joel, what that means for us as his children, as believers in the cross, the crucifixion, and the empty egg, the empty tomb, it means that, yes, we will die, but we will yet live. And then there's the second part where he says, and my righteous servant will justify many. That's not a really good translation, and very rarely will I do this, but the reason why it's not a good translation is because the word righteousness literally means the one in right relationship. And Jesus was the one in right relationship with God, right? He was the true son. He was the one who loved properly and lived properly. He was in right relationship with God, with people, and the world. But what the Hebrew actually says is, my righteous servant will make others righteous. It literally uses the same word, tzedakah. My sedekah will make others sedekah. The one in right relationship will make others in right relationship. Y'all, that is good news. In fact, that is the secret sauce of Christianity because we live in a world of broken relationships. Whether it's with us and our spouses, whether it's us and our kids, us and our neighbor, whether it's between nations. We live in a world of broken relationships, but the one in right relationship came to put us in right relationship and to teach us how to be in right relationship with one another, even in a broken world, even when there's hurt, even when the effects of sin and death are still here. We have a God who specializes in reconciling and putting things back together again. And that's why Isaiah 53 ends this way. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and we will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and he was numbered among the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We, we, We call this week the Passion. And the reason why we call it the Passion is because this was the literal first Passion Project. All of us kind of have Passion Projects sometimes, right? Maybe it's, you know what, I I, I want to see this room remodeled. Or I want to create this piece of work. Or I want to write this book. Jesus' Passion Project was a crown of thorns that he was willing to give for you a death and a resurrection that he was willing to give for me. That that he could put us back together, that he could start putting this world back together here and now in this present moment and into eternity. The passion of our God, the passion of Christ is to have a connection with you and to help you to have a connection with everyone else in your life. And y'all, that is good news. That is why every year we celebrate Easter again and again and again because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to get separated. It's so easy for us all like sheep. Earlier in Isaiah, it says, have gone astray. 
And so again, we re-enter the story. We believe in the God that we have and what he is doing. And so, and so we are going to literally connect with our God through communion. Communion literally means community union with us, with God, and us with each other. He says, I'm going to be here in, with, and under this bread and this wine. I'm going to show up for you, to be with you, to forgive you, and to love you. And we're actually going to use the words of Isaiah for our confession today, where it says, for he bore the sins of many. We're going to just spend a little bit of time reflecting on that but then liberated and absolved that he stands in place for us. And I ask you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we all come before you like sheep. And we, we, we stray and we rebel. Lord God, we fall short of who you've called us to be. Lord, we come before you now admitting our sin not out of despair or desperation, but out of life and the promise that you are our intercessor, Lord, and that as you showed yourself to disciples, you breathed on them, you said, receive the Holy Spirit, and whatever sins you forgive, they are forgiven indeed. And so, Father, Lord, we hold fast to the promise of forgiveness, the absolution that we may be righteous, in right relationship because of the righteous one. Amen. Our last reading comes from the 16th Psalm, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is known as one of the Salvation Messiah Psalms. And the reason why I picked this to end is twofold. One, because as it says, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. As, as we talk about a calendar year, every year there's, there's different people in this room. Some, some have moved away like the Hueys, and others have passed on. And one of the things I love about this psalm is it connects our faith and our life, even beyond death, with our Messiahs, Right? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one, the Messiah, see decay. Easter is a celebration of life that transcends even death. And that is something that we can celebrate. That is why we say he is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Because our life is tied with his life. Our hope is tied with his hope. And, and y'all, that is good news for eternity. But the other reason why I picked this psalm is it's good news for today. 
The psalmist continues and it says, You make known the path of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I love that line. You will fill me with the joy and you will make known to me the path of life. Y'all, Easter is not just about gaining our eternal heaven punch card punched. It's about God saying, I will show you how to live here and now today. I want to show you what real life looks like, what real love looks like. As we become disciples of Christ, as we learn to reflect him in our communities, we get to experience that promise of Christ. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. Easter is the exclamation point on that statement. That we have a God who specializes in life, who specializes in your life. And in your marriage, and with your kids, and with your coworkers, and with your neighbors, and in a broken world that is in desperate need of good news. That God's not done with them yet either. That that life is for him, and in the words of the apostles, and for their children, for all who are far off, and all whom the Lord our God will call. Amen, amen, amen. We rise for our final song today.